Welcome to Luthier's Tale. I'm Ben Liggett, Luthier and owner of Liggett Guitars. Every episode I interview someone that is passionate about their craft. This week I'm speaking with Andy Weber, owner of Whale Hazard Guitars. Whale Hazard Guitars have a very original look and some insane hand-cut inlay work. Go have a look at whalehazard.com. If you like the podcast, leave me a rating on iTunes and subscribe. That helps the reach of the show. Let's get into the interview. Tell me about Whale Hazard. First of all, I want to know about the name Whale Hazard. How did you come come up with that? That's the first thing everybody asks. Um, it, well, it's you know, it's a it's an old family name, Nathaniel Whale Hazard. Um, thought it'd make for a good a good brand. That's actually not true. Um, it's not a good story. So I started making that up. Um, <laughs> it came from a like a pirate name generator somebody sent me years ago. Oh yeah. Um, Thought it was a good combination of words. I've always been, for someone who grew up in Iowa, um, I've always been fascinated by like maritime history, in particular, you know, like the the whaling industry is a really, it's a very strange period of time that you know, there's never been anything else quite like that. You know, mm-hmm. I've had read a lot about it. I don't know. So just that kind of combination of of words. Tell me about your guitars, man. How did you, uh, you say you grew up in Iowa. Uh, how did you get into building guitars? Just kind of happened, I guess. Um, I don't know. I grew up, my, my dad was a woodworker. Um, used to do remodeling and building cabinets, um, fine woodworking stuff when I was a little kid. And I'd always go, you know, build weird stuff in his shop. Um, little boats and birdhouses and things. Um, and I didn't really get into playing guitar until I think, you know, probably junior, senior year of college or high school, rather. Sorry. Um, I guess senior year of high school is when I, you know, first picked up my dad had an old Alvarez laying around that, uh, you know, I just started learning like Metallica songs via tablature on <laughs> this acoustic guitar. I think that's it's one kinda... of the first things I learned, too. Yeah. Metallica and like uh, Pink Floyd. Kind yeah. of stuff but um yeah that uh, you know and that was the first time i had never really i'd always been in, interested in electric guitar music for sure but i'd never really thought about playing you know i played piano as a small child and then played trumpet all the way through high school um i grew up in a pretty small town um and i didn't really know that you could just learn cool music yeah and just do that and that you didn't have to be good at it or anything, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, you could just, I don't know. And I'm, I think I knew like three kids who kind of had a band and they'd play a couple songs at like the talent show. Oh, and in college I, uh, I studied, um, sculpture a lot, you know, a, a bachelor's in fine arts. Um, so I, uh, you know, did, did various things, but sculpture was really the thing that kind of, kind of worked for me. Do you find that the sculpting, like lends itself towards like when you're sculpting a heel on a neck and like the volute area. Yeah. I mean, I think I certainly learned um, a lot about, you know, thinking in three dimensions and visualizing things in three dimensions. Uh-huh. Um, so that's something, you know, even though I design mostly now in, in 2d, um, I do everything in illustrator um, if not on paper you know, with a pencil. Um mm-hmm. But I'm always thinking about that stuff, you know, like the um, bevels and things like that. Certainly the heel, um, you know, I know that's a sticking point with a lot of people. Everybody's yeah. got their own their own opinions mm-hmm. on the way a heel should be. Um, and a lot, of, yeah, I think a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't know. There's, you know, you get the um, people who say that it, you, you can't, have a comfortable heel unless you'd like to have a, uh, you know, neck through and sand away everything so you can, you know, the fully sculpted thing. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the fender version, which is real clunky. Um, but there's no reason that you can't do something in between that's comfortable and also looks nice. Uh, yeah, I think it, it does help with that stuff. You know, I, I think a lot about line and form. Um, and that's stuff I, I learned, you know, studying art and sculpture especially yeah doing body shapes is like like i i have to draw it 
and then like let it sit overnight before I come back to it. Like if the first draft is like, I always come back to it and I'm like, nah, this needs to be pulled and tugged this way. Like it takes a lot of time. See, that's pretty good. It usually takes me a couple of years, you know, it's like I'll sketch something on a post-it note and then I'll stash it somewhere for six months and then maybe I'll come back to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or maybe I never will. I've got several of those floating around, you know, things. It's just like design stuff is hard for me to, um, it's something I, I take very seriously. So it it has to be right, you know, before I can even think about cutting, cutting it out of wood. Um, yeah. So I find it very frustrating as well. Um, you know, I know the end result will always get where I want it to be, but it's, it's often agony getting there. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll just sit and stare at it endlessly or erase over and over and over again, you know. It's like each individual line, yeah, it, it takes a lot, of, a lot of pushing and pulling and trying, trying to get that right. Yeah, yeah. I, I find uh, working digitally is a lot easier than pen and paper. Um, it's like if I, if I draw it, like drawing a smooth curve for whatever reason, like I, I was in art as well and was always into illustrating and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I like my penmanship is crap. So like drawing a smooth line, like my hands just don't do it. <laughs> oh yeah. Mine don't either. It's endlessly frustrating. You know, I've, I've been doing some illustration work actually recently, um, which is pretty new for me. Uh, and yeah, it's just hours of getting it wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And until I can go back in and trying to figure out, you know, the best process to <clears throat> minimize the amount of wasted time doing that. Um, that's yeah. difficult. So with, you know, um, I currently have an arch top design that I'm, it'll be the first time I've like drawn out a full scale guitar plan um, on just paper at first, since I first started building guitars probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of exciting, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a much different process. Otherwise, you know, it's usually I'll take a really crummy sketch, scan it, and then throw it in illustrator, um, for bodies and for, you know, for actual guitar models, that's works best for me. Cause then I can, you know, just digitally do all the, all the scale length and all that stuff. And it's easier to tweak, tweak the curves and get things like, you know, being able to layer, put on layers and see. You know, I've got five different layers that each have a different version of the same line. Mm -hmm. um, so I can pick from there instead of erasing and sketching and having endless sheets of tracing paper. Yeah. Do you ever work with uh, French curves? I have a little bit. Um, I never really get the hang of them. Um, I, I do use them a little bit from time to time. Yeah, there's a... Uh, I had a, a friend gave me a, a French curve that will actually, like, move... Oh, you that's know? interesting. And I found that to be really, really helpful for the, oh, for that's the, cool. the more, the bigger lines, you know, I, I would always have to pull out the, uh, the smaller curves for cutaways and stuff like that. Yeah. So did you work in a guitar shop? No, I never have. I'm pretty much entirely self-taught. Um, you know, and I got, I guess I got back into playing guitar. I played guitar all through college. Um, and, you know, got my first electric guitar and started getting into that stuff. And then, you know, moved up to the Twin Cities um, right after that and was, you know, living in a punk house um, with seven other seven other people, you know, actually just about a block from where I live now. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we had uh, all sorts of crazy bands come through there and none of, none of them were very good uh, and they were all loud and noisy and uh, it was, it was uh, revelatory for me. You know, like I said, I grew up in a very small town where you had like three radio stations, you know, with like the classic rock and the hard rock and oldies. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't even, you know, I, I missed a lot of, you know, I, what I knew about punk rock was Green Day, you know. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. So, um moving to Minneapolis and just being immersed in that immediately. Um, that's when I was kind of like, Oh, anybody, anybody can do this, you know? So that's easy. Uh, <laughs> and, um, so yeah, so started playing, started playing in bands. Um, kind of at that point was 
I couldn't afford any gear. Um, so I took my Squire Strat apart, you know, four or five times and did mods to it and fixed things up and just kind of started to learn that way. Um, didn't have any woodworking tools or space for it or anything. I think at some point, you know, I, I started to, uh, build like pedal clones just cause that was a thing I could do in a limited amount of space. It was pretty cheap. Um, so just start building fuzz pedals and stuff just to mess around with. Um, and I always had the idea of building, experimented a little bit with um, some inlay work like in college right after there when I was still, I did a fifth year apprenticeship at the, in the art department at St. Olaf College. Um, they kind of allow you to just experiment and have studio space and do whatever you want. Um, yeah, what inlays did you do there? Like what materials? Just pretty basic stuff like wood and wood, um, but just kind of learning about that and how that worked. And for some reason, that was pretty interesting to me right away. Um, and then, of course, I didn't do any any more of that for a long time because um, I was living in small places, didn't have the space or tools. Um, and then, yeah, I finally, I think after tinkering around with that kind of stuff and you know i was working a job where i had a lot of make making a lot of overtime um i just buy a random gear on craigslist because it was cheap because it was a good deal and playing around with weird things um finally had like half of a garage you know so i m my dad loaned me his bandsaw for a couple of years and bought a drill press and a and a router and they kind of Said, uh, let's see if I can do this. You you can uh, do a lot with the just those. Yeah, yes, you can. That shop, however, barely had enough electricity. There was like one outlet shared for both sides of the, the garage. Oh, dang. <laughs> so I was running. I had one plug and running an extension cord through the rafters. Um, no insulation or heat. You know, there was no service door. So the, you know, this is Minnesota. Um, so uh, the... Anytime I go in or out, any any heat generated by my space heater, if it was working, would immediately be lost. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I just started just started doing it. You know, I've got a couple of the books. Um, I don't remember which ones. Um, the Project Guitar Forum was helpful for sure. Uh, just a lot of trial and error. I built a couple of really ugly guitars pretty early on. Yeah, and just uh, kept kept going, I guess. Um, I think. I listened to a few episodes of your show. I think it was uh, you were talking to Les Godfrey about uh, people who you know learn on their own versus people who go to school or apprentice uh -huh. stuff for it. And I, I, I think you said someone you know felt like they wish they they could have uh, knocked ten years off of their learning if they yeah. had done that. And I'm I feel like I'm still you know I'm I guess I'm twelve years in at this point and I st still feel like I'm I'm behind. Well, where I would be if I had. If it makes you feel any better, I'm ten years in and I feel behind too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a good jump start, but uh, even after going to school, you know, that was like a, a five month deal, and you built two guitars, and then uh, I started working for Bishline Banjos, and doing that, it was it was still a full year of working there before. I knew how to do a little bit of everything. Sure. I mean, there's so many aspects to learn with guitar building between finish, inlay, and uh, fretting, and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, it's a. Uh, I'm still, I'm still uh, making making it up as I go every day. It seems like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's. Uh, I I kind of. You know, I started playing guitars that I had built on stage. Um, so I was playing out in bands the whole time and uh, eventually started to get repair work um, from people, you know, just people I knew um, in bands. And and I learned, um, just kind of learned doing that. Uh, I appreciate those people trusting me um, with no experience to work on their <laughs> guitars. Uh, and I think I did a pretty bad job for a while. But uh, a lot of them kept coming back. So... Uh, that that part of the business, you know, then I was like, oh, you can actually make some money doing this, even if not building them. Yeah. Um, and that was a big part of the business for a while, um, you know, through enough so that 
I quit my day job completely in 2016, um, the end of 2016. Um, and I just now this last year kind of am trying to shift fully into building. Yeah. Um, which is certainly its own struggle, just how to, how to manage that. Yeah. I think, uh, there's a lot of repair people I know that do pretty well with that. It's one of those things that like, I don't enjoy doing repairs. <laughs> you know, I want to do my own stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of people say that I do, I do enjoy repairs. It's nice to have something that I can finish in a couple hours instead of 10 months or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I, I mean, that's uh, most of the things I've learned about building guitars. I've learned from repairing them, you know, and, and as well as design stuff, you know, like what's, why is this guitar crappy? Uh, it's because it was designed this way and how can I make that better? Um, and that's certainly stuff I can, I can apply to my own builds, yeah. my own kind of design philosophy. Yeah. I, I've heard a lot of, um, really established luthiers talk about how they still do repairs, you know, just to stay sharp on that stuff and then mm-hmm. it makes them better builders. Yeah. I've got, I, you know, I've still got, I've got a ton of regular customers that I, you know, I'll still do setups and you know, easy stuff for them, stuff that I can get in and out pretty fast. I was just doing a refret today. Um, it still pays better. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I like that stuff for the most part. There's certain things that early on I was like, well, I'm not going to do that ever, ever again. Um, and I kind of got, yeah, I was, I was kind of already working on kind of ramping up building when the pandemic hit. Um, and I was like, well, I've got a bunch of, I got a lot of materials here. Um, I'll just keep cutting stuff out and, until, uh, until the money runs out. Um, but then I just got swamped with repairs and did almost entirely repairs for all of 2020. And at that point I was like, okay, I need to really cut back on that. Um, and I had, had pretty good, uh, search engine optimization. Yeah. So I always get lots of random calls just, and I work from home, you know, I work from my garage. It's not the same garage. I know <laughs> have a much better one with insulation and lights and things. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference. Uh, but just people calling me up and just be like, okay, where's your shop? I need to drop off a guitar right now and I need it back in two days. I was just like, I, like, I can't even answer. I, I couldn't even answer the phone. You know, it was just, it's like, I can't. Do you think that was spurred on by the pandemic? Yeah, I think it was. I think there's a lot of people with a lot of time yeah. um, on their hands. I think um, certainly the first like stimulus check. I know I had a number of regulars who, who you were like, all right, well, we're, let's do these upgrades we've been talking about for years, stuff like that. Nice. Um, yeah, and there were people, you know, I people bring me a box of box of parts they ordered on the internet because they're looking for something to do, and they're like, I was going to put this together, but none of these pieces fit right, and so you know, I do like a parts build jazz master forum or something, um, and that you know, you make good money doing that, just charging hourly for. a making things fit, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, I mean, it certainly seemed like it. And part of it might just be that, you know, at that point I've been doing it for 10 years and again, you know, good name recognition, good word of mouth, uh, great reviews. My, my customers are all, are for the most part excellent. And I, I, I miss working with some of them sometimes for sure. Um, I, w- I wanted to say your inlay work is really, really great. Thank you. And you have lots of very like abstract designs that are unique and, you know, really set your guitars apart design wise. Thank you. That's, you know, that's, that was another thing early on where I was like, well, I, you know, I don't, nobody knows who I am. Um, how do I, how do I make, make this stand out? And the inlay was a good way to do that for sure. Um, the designs too, you know, just trying to do something unique that other people aren't doing. Um, it's like, that's a way I can, I can stand apart from the crowd a little bit. You know, I don't necessarily care about making copies of anything. Again, the, that design process as well is even more frustrating because it's not only design something that's harmonious visually, but sometimes it's, it's a real, 
it feels like that's antithetical to like the function of a guitar and the the design of you know especially a fretboard a fretboard is a really hard composition in and of itself yeah <clears throat> it's a weird long skinny thing and it's got metal things breaking it up yeah yeah it's really it's difficult um and and it's radiused and you're putting in flat pieces <laughs> right. oh yeah all of that um i i do all my inlays with a with a you know a flat board still and then radius from there um, mm -hmm. i don't i don't i haven't done anything so crazy that i've had to worry too much about sanding through you know um or there's a couple things where i've had to do you know markers along the edge and i've routed a little deeper there and buried the inlay a little bit before i radius mm -hmm. um all kinds of things that would be easier if, if I wasn't doing it all by hand. Um, but the when I get the inlay design done when it's right, you know, um, one of the things that I that I'm good at is sitting down and just cutting out little pieces and s staring at that. And that is one of my favorite parts is the actual like execution of the inlay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a person who has a hard time focusing, um, especially being self-employed. It's just you know, I'll wander around, I'll, you know, hang out, go inside, hang out with the cats, I'll take a walk, just sometimes just to avoid doing whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. But if I'm sitting there cutting out little bits of shell or something that, I don't know, that's, that's one thing my brain does well. What do you like for uh, pickups? Oh man, that's a question that I, <laughs> I don't know how to answer. Um, my, myself, I'm not that picky, you know, um, I, you know, the, the Andromeda, which is kind of my flagship model, was designed, you know, with humbuckers in mind, just mm -hmm. as, a, as a visual thing. Um, I've built it with all sorts of, all sorts of styles in there. Um, but, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of a classic rock and metal guy more than anything. Um, so it's pretty hard to go wrong with humbuckers. Yeah. Um, I'm not the kind of person that, you know, I get people ask all the time, you know, like which, which pickups do you want in this and this and that and i you know i i couldn't tell you the difference between two paf styles if i heard them next to each other um right now like what i've got in my guitar my personal andromeda uh, i've got a they're both from uh, righteous sound pickups um I've got a p90 in the in the neck position and a one of his uh wide range humbuckers in the in the bridge which i'm yeah. liking that quite a lot um, I haven't been playing metal. My band kind of went on hiatus shortly before the pandemic and, um, I'm enjoying trying different things. Um, but you know, like I love the sound of a strat. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love P90s quite a lot. I've grown, grown to, to love those. Um, are you talking about brands more specifically or? No, no, just okay. in, in general. Um, P90s are cool. I very recently, I, last year made a couple with p90s uh for the first time it was the first with two p90s i found it was the first uh set of pickups where i liked the middle position a lot i don't know oh, why sure. that is i built a siren was my one of my other models for the uh uh vancouver guitar show in 2018 and put uh uh, Lawler P90s, but the bridge was their staple P90, um, and that that combination, especially in the middle, was one of my favorites. Favorite sounding guitars I've built for sure. Yeah, like that quite a lot. Well, I tell you, every almost everything I build, if it's not for a customer that requests something different, I end up putting Lawlers in it just because I'm never disappointed. Right, you know, and that's kind of. I, I, that's one of the brands I have on my website, you know, cause it's, it's an industry name that people know. Um, yeah. every, every one I've heard sounds great. Um, there's a local guy that I like quite a lot. Um, he's easy to deal with and he, I can walk to his house to pick stuff up. Um, and it's really nice to be able to work with somebody like that as well. Yeah. That's um, cool. Revel custom pickups. If anyone's looking, um, okay. uh, that's really nice. Cause I can just tell him what I want and you know, he's, you know, I, I don't have the knowledge of, you know, which kind of humbuckers from what era sound like what. That's just not something I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, 
Do you get into the different uh, magnet types or anything? Not really. No. Um, it's you know it's one of those things where I always someday it would maybe be, it would be nice to learn to wind pickups and figure that stuff out. But I've got so much other stuff to do. It's kind of if I'm not going to go all in. You know why I bother? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about. It. I don't know, and it's what I tell people too. It's like you know I. These are companies, this guy, you know, or Lawler or whatever, Righteous Sound, those are brands that I know those people know what they're doing. Yeah. And they, I know they're going to make... They've worked out all the kinks. Yeah. They're going to make a quality product every time. Um, and if you have an idea what you want it to sound like, that's a good place to start, you know. Um, and with Jesse from Revel, I can, you know, it's like, well, this, I've got these wood combinations. So this guitar is going to be a little bit, you know, it's a little dense. It's going to be a little brighter. Um, so where, you know, where do we go from there? And he's like, well, I got this new thing. Let's try that. And I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten into the uh, pairing pickups to wood types yet. Well, yeah, it's it's very much just kind of thinking about, you know, something. I want something a little mellower if the if the body wood is pretty bright. That's kind of about the extent of it. Yeah, that makes sense. I find that I really like Alnico 5 uh, mm. magnets for whatever reason. And I, I've i had a couple sets of ceramic pickups, and I was always kind of, I don't know, disappointed with the clean tones on those. Sure. Um, but I've got to check out Revel and... Um, righteous sound i haven't heard of either of those so i've got to check them out yeah they both make great stuff um like i said i've got the righteous sounds in in my in my personal guitar um and i like i like the combination of sounds i can get with that it's a it's a wide variety um and again trying to get my own playing and tone into a different place just because i was in you know in kind of a, a rut for a long time just doing the same thing playing the same sort of music for a long time I'm trying to figure out um where to go from there but i i've used some of his other wide ranges um the only ever like decent electric guitar i owned that i didn't build was a like a reissue 72 thin line telly um mm -hmm. And I really got, and those were probably the, uh, you know, the, the fake wide ranges that weren't made the same with whatever, whatever um, bad magnets they had. Um, yeah, I haven't tried uh, wide ranges that I really was into, so I feel you there. Um, yeah. Tell me about your woods. Do you have favorites, tonewood wise? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I like swamp ash a lot. Mm -hmm. I like, I like the density of it. Uh, you know, if I can get, I've got a kind of hoarding a stash of really light one piece blanks. Um, I bought a bunch of it in the last couple of years and then people stopped ordering it, which is fine. It's a, it's great stuff. Uh, I really like it. I love the way it looks. I like what you can do with color with it, you know, and the dark filler and things like that. Um, yeah. And it's so stiff for how light it is, mm -hmm. which, yeah, strength to weight ratio is kind of the name of the game. Right. Um, and for similar reasons, you know, mahogany, it's it's different for sure. But it, if I can find lightweight mahogany, that's almost always my favorite, too. Um, mm -hmm. it's, that's just, and again, I love the way it looks. It's simple, you know. I've The orders I've been getting more lately, uh, people are you know, want the figured woods and they want the fancy things and dyed maple tops and stuff like that. But, you know, I like a, a slab of mahogany or swamp ash um, for, for a solid body guitar. I think that's just the way to go. Um, uh, I've been using cherry for necks for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of got a hold of some quarter saw and stuff that was really straight, you know, years and years ago. Um, I was like, well, I'll try that out. You know, I was doing everything on a budget then. It was cheap. Uh, I like how light it is. Um, it's very stiff. It seems to be somewhere between like maple and mahogany in terms of like workability. Okay. Um, I, I like the way it looks. It's just you know it's it's local here. I like I like that too. Um, 
yeah, my, it, how does it tap? Do you do you tap on stuff? Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know how to describe it. Really, you know, it's like I don't know. It rings. Um, yeah. It's not. It's not nearly as like bright as maple for sure. Um, but it's got. It's kind of got a an airiness to it. Okay. Um, again, I think it it tends to be very light. At least the stuff I've been able to get around here. And I, I like that quite a lot. Um, um, I have a, a huge slab of uh, curly cherry that I need to resaw. I'm hoping to use for um, back and sides for um, one of these arch tops. I hope to be starting. Yeah, tell, tell me about sometime. this arch top. Well, it's very much in the R and D stage, um, and you know, on the back burner because I have too many other things to do. Um, it's something I want to do for a long time. I think artistically the most interesting guitars i see out there are arch tops um i like the sound of them a lot they seem like they're very versatile mm -hmm. um i yeah i just it's something i i think about it in terms of like what to, where do i want to go you know next with this you know what 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 can i do different than what i'm doing now and that seems like a like a really interesting step. Um, I'm a big fan of the the Parker arch tops. Have you seen those? Yeah, I you know I don't like I, I don't like his headstock, so that's a <laughs> that's tough. Um, but I like everything else he's doing with them. Um, yeah, his neck joints are just like freaky. Yeah, that's that's a thing that I'm thinking about. So, you know, like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna build my first arch top. So it seems like you know I've been I've I've poured through the Benedetto book. Um, am I just going to build build something traditional? And I won't, you know. I I'm, <laughs> I'll I'll make my own shape. Um, I've I've taken measurements from a number of things and other plans, but yeah, it's like how how nuts do I want to go with like the neck joint on the first one? It's, uh, and I've looked at things like uh, you know thinking about. You know, if I'm routing for a humbucker, like a, a top-mounted humbucker, then why not do like a bolt-on neck from the inside? You know, mm -hmm. yeah. something like that. Um, I, I a lot of people get hung up, at least in the acoustic world, on like the whole dovetail joint thing. Like it's got the best tone, or it's this, or it's that. But I, I think a bolt-on neck in the world of acoustic guitars and, and arch tops, I think it's valid because, you know, uh, especially if it's not a, a laminated side guitar, you know, it's those things, they need neck adjustments at some point. Right. And if, if you can make that process easy or easier, then uh, I think that's good. Yeah, well, it's I've um, I'm currently have a, a, a my first a flat top acoustic in in the works as well. Um, my, my dad and I, and I are actually building those together, um, which is a very slow process just because it's you know whereas while pandemic was hard to get together, things like that. He you know he lives a few hours away. Um, so learning that you know we started started them years ago, um, and we're following the Cumpiano book. He uses like a pinned, a pinned mortise and tenon. Cause like oh, that yeah. seems even harder to deal with than a dovetail as far as, you know, I mean, I've done, I've done a few simple neck resets here and there. So I know how the dovetail works. I can, that makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense that that's still an industry standard. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, you know, lately, and when we started building these, it's been long enough now that, I've totally, you know, seen a lot of evolution in the way the way that stuff works, and so we're absolutely doing a bolt-on for that. Yeah. The only um, issue with the, the arch top being that if you don't have is is access to it if you can't get in, you know. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. If so hence the idea of if you if you're if you're gonna put a humbucker in the top, then it's easy. Or yeah. you know, I've seen. 
I don't. It's been a while since I've looked at the Parker ones, so I'm not quite sure. I don't remember exactly how his thing works, but he's basically got a post sticking up out of the. Yeah. Yeah, with the, just like the a block. single hole in the back to adjust it up and down. Right, right, right. Yeah, and you've seen a few variations of something like that. Um, there's, I'm kind of, kind of obsessed with weird German arch tops. Um, and not any of the brands you've ever heard of, just like weird oh no name ones or, you know, some guys who made a couple of them in the fifties or something. Uh, mm -hmm. and there's some, a couple of those that I've seen with some really interesting kind of neck adjustment mechanisms. Um, and I'm not really an engineer, uh, or anything that stuff is a little difficult for me to figure out. Um, I could do it if I were to take the time to sit down, but. Yeah, trying to figure out, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessary to invent something new. Are you familiar with Berenick? Oh, uh, yeah. I also I also met Mike at, at NAMM that year. Um, and, yeah, he's... Uh, he's got his own thing going on with the uh, adjustable neck as well. Sure. Um, I You know, I I don't know his acoustic work very well. Um, oh, yeah, his, I, his electrics he's been doing in the last couple of years are pretty out of this world. Yeah. Yeah, and I I met him, you know, it was 2020, January, um, and so that's the stuff he had there and was showing. Um, they're they're pretty pretty amazing, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know about his neck joint. Uh, I should look into that as well. Um, there's a lot of you know I definitely feel like I'm on the periphery of the of the industry. Uh, I don't do a good job of keeping up with what's happening you know i i know i'm not a historian of it either you know well from a design aspect at least uh like aesthetic design i think that's a good thing yeah i, I don't i don't disagree yeah there's there's people on instagram i have to i have to just like mute the account because i'm like i can't look at this too much or else i'll just like inadvertently copy it and i don't want to copy anybody's stuff mine's more like yeah just they're the people that make me feel like a total amateur because i'm like i like this is why why am i building guitars if somebody doing this you know there's a lot of those well you have a unique style i think there's something for something for everybody yeah i think i think that's that's true um but yeah, it's something you know. It's something I think about. It's uh, I was a little nervous when you asked me to be on this, you know, because I, I listened to a few previous episodes and I feel like I definitely don't know anywhere near as much as most of those people. Uh, <laughs> well, I I tend to interview people that know a lot more than me, so uh, we're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, the other the other reason uh, I'm hesitant to talk about this, but you're because you're uh, your tagline says you're interview people who are passionate about what they do and i sometimes again the guitar industry is such a weird it's such a weird industry and the music industry in general mm -hmm. that sometimes that's a real turnoff for me just like the way the way it operates and the way i don't know i i don't like running a business i do it because it lets me do make things i want to make yeah but i think you know i just just listened to your interview with Ian. Uh, said, you know, he, he'd be interested in working on something else if he wasn't working on guitars, you know, furniture or whatever. Or whatever. And it's sure. I feel that way sometimes, you know. It's like I think I realize that, you know, maybe I'm not always passionate about guitars, but I think I'm passionate about craft and about design. Yeah. And that's this is currently how I manifest that, I guess. Well, when I look at your guitars, I definitely think that you're passionate about it. Yeah, I just, you know, not always. Killer. <laughs> well, th thank you. Just not always the, you know, the business of, ru of running a guitar shop. And, I uh, bet that's, I, I, I think that's most luthiers. Yeah, oh, for sure. We're notoriously bad businessmen. I mean, I've said this before, I'm sure on the podcast, but I say it to a lot of people is, uh, if you're going to start a business making something, I think guitars might be the dumbest thing you could make. Cause it's like, yeah, it's probably, that's probably true. You can't just like go hire anybody to do it. They no. have to have like 
like knowledge and all these different aspects. So that's bad. Um, mm. The profit margin's pretty bad. Um, I mean, there's a, and they take forever to do, and you have to be a perfectionist about it, or else you get eaten alive, or you can't sleep at night knowing you like fudged up some spot on a guitar because we we kind of view it as art even though it's a product well yeah that's definitely one thing like early on that i really would have benefited from you know i spent years agonizing about finishing and stuff and i was pretty committed to doing water-based finish from the start Mm -hmm. because you know i was in a in a garage or my basement um and you know, I had a year where I basically I didn't get any guitars done because I couldn't get the finish right on any of them. And you, I was doing it part time then, so it wasn't like I had had to produce stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, just and since then, and I, I've gotten pretty good at finishing, and I've developed a bit of a reputation for that. Um, but then I've you know been to a few shows. Um, the first really real guitar show I ever went to was the Vancouver show in 2018, Vancouver Guitar Festival. Um, mm-hmm. And there were some, you know, some pretty big names there and some people I really looked up to for sure. Um, and being able to go there and just like stare at their guitars and seeing all, <laughs> seeing it, seeing imperfections. <laughs> really, that was, I, you know, I didn't sell anything. I, <laughs> I spent a lot of money. I had shipping nightmares. It was a whole ordeal. <laughs> And I was a nervous wreck the whole time. Um, but like just that experience really made me feel a lot better <laughs> about, about what I do. Good. Um, and I think ha- had I apprenticed with someone or gone to school, just having someone early on tell me it doesn't need to be perfect would have, would have made a huge difference. Yeah. Well, and I, what, I still what, struggle with it. I'm, I'm at kind of at the point where I know – what I what I see that no one else will see. Um, I worked in a photo lab for you know better part of a decade, and you're inspecting f- glossy finishes for tiny little scratches and and imperfections. And I think my eyes are trained to a level that I think uh, even other guitar builders aren't necessarily. My wife was always coming out to the shop, and I'm just like, uh, it's like I messed this thing up. Look at this, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And now she's at the point where she can see what I'm showing her usually, but she still is like, no one is ever going to see that. I know. I know. I, I spend hours on things. No one would notice, but yep. it, it just can't go out like that. No, I'm, yeah, I'm currently, well, talking about, you know, not always being passionate about it. I'm, I had a couple of big setbacks in the last couple of weeks. One, the biggest of which was this, this base that I was wet sanding, you know, couple things happened but it's basically got to strip strip the, the body and redo it uh and that's not the end of the world um it's a spec build so no one's waiting on it but it's been here for a long time you know <laughs> like yeah, it was ready for finish last summer and then i spent most of the fall building a new spray booth i'm just like i just i'm so tired of looking at this base i want <laughs> i want it out of here <laughs> uh and it's like you know it's been probably six years since i sanded through to the color and i had to redo it all but it's a and i'm pretty good at touching things up and hiding my finish mistakes sure that's the nice thing about the water-based stuff is it'll look it will the stuff i'm using will burn in like nitro will like and it's you know repairs easily but this is a you know metallic it's the first time i've done metallic with water-based uh and so it's there's a little bit of a learning curve uh and there's no just no way to repair it so what kind of what kind of finish is it? The, uh, the it's a uh, bright tone okay. from Crystalac. Crystalac. So does it have any kind of fumes? Not really. No. I mean, just a, just a little bit. But does it um, once it once it's once it's like dry to the touch, it doesn't. You can't smell it. How long does it take before you can sand it after spraying it? Um, they say they say uh, two weeks. I think I usually give it three. Okay. Just, just, uh, um, I don't know. I've been using it for probably seven or eight years now. Um, and I'm very pleased with the results I get. Um, again, it's a bit of a learning curve. Uh, it's a little weird. You know, I, I mix all my own colors and it's usually tinting, um, 
tinting the clear, doing that mm -hmm. stuff. I do mostly transparent finishes. Um, I tried a number of products when I was starting out, and none of them were very satisfactory. I get witness lines. I get you know they'd be cloudy, kind of blue in the dark areas, stuff like that. Just like wouldn't adhere properly if you don't scuff every coat, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm happy with the results I get. Um, it's my spray booth for the last six years has been a, just a crumbling basement room um, that I've got basically plastic draped around and a couple of terrible fans blowing through a duct out a window. Um, so this, <laughs> this fall, my dad came up and we punched a hole in the foundation, um, ran better ductwork in a better location, um, bought a, bought a big fan, um, insulated and drywalled the whole thing, which is a huge deal. Uh, you That's know, awesome. big yeah, lights. The, and... the better you can keep a handle on the dust, the less time you spend, you know, dicking with little fuzzies that get caught in the finish. Yeah, well, like, I, you know, so I'm not worried about explosions or fumes, really, because of the waterborne stuff, but I was getting a lot of overspray in the clear coat because it wasn't, it wasn't pulling enough air out. Um, so this is going to help with that. Um, you know, it's still a weird room in my basement. Um, I still have to stick a space heater in there in the wintertime, um, but it, the insulation is great now. Um, the thing that I think is really going to help me out is that um, there's enough airflow now and enough room in there that I can hopefully spray clear coat on more than one guitar at a time. Because that's been, it's been such a, like just a slow process of, um, you know, if I spray three coats a day f for a week on one guitar, that's a lot of my week. Yeah. Um, and with the water-based stuff, I have to at least flush the gun between every coat. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it'll gum up the gun? Yeah, it'll dry out in there. Oh, dang. So that's a major time suck. So this will save me a lot of time um, and a lot of lacquer. Yeah, it's been everything I do. I do this the slow way, and I'm just very gradually uh, getting faster. <laughs> this is, you know, baby steps. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things I wish I was faster at. Uh, it's like one thing to get get good at doing something, and it's another thing to make it fast. <laughs> they don't always line up. Well, right. Yeah. Figure out how to figure out how to get paid for my time and. Yeah, that's a that's a whole thing. I'm gonna have to, you know, I'll, I'll be I'm per, been procrastinating that I need to open the orders back up this summer. Um, and I'm gonna have to probably do a pretty you know, pretty good price hike. It's been a while since I've fully calculated my costs and everything's gone up. I've you know had a number of pretty big shifts because I started out charging almost nothing. You know, it's like early on it was like all right, you you know the first. Guitar I built that wasn't for myself was a bass for my buddy in the band. He's like, he was, I was like, yeah, I don't know, pay for the parts and a few hundred bucks, and we'll, we'll call it good, you know. Yeah. Was just at that point, it's just happy to have somebody paying for it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also trying to figure out, you know, again, what is it? How do I push what I'm doing further? Um, I, I raised prices right after the pandemic started, which you know I asked a lot of people for feedback on it. A lot of people had told me, I, and I knew I wasn't charging enough money then, and still am not. But um, like, is this is this a bad idea to do this right now? And I got mixed mixed messages about it. But I did it, and then I sold sold not only you know a few orders right away. Um, but also I had a bunch of inventory sitting around and all that sold. Um, oh, great. that was at older prices, I guess. But, um, and I, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll never be able to compete with the guys who can, who've got a couple of CNC machines and, you know, a handful of people working for them. Um, and that's not really my goal, you know, and, and, and are making something that's kind of custom, but isn't mm -hmm. fully, you know, it's, it, a handful of shapes, different colors, different wood choices kind of thing. Um, and there's some people doing really cool stuff with that, kind of in that zone. But I'm like, I got to, I don't know, embrace the exclusivity of it and just push things further. So I'm kind of at that weird transition point now where I know getting into the archtop thing, 
that's kind of just a learning thing for me. We'll see if I can do that. I want to see what it's like. See if I enjoy doing that. But also, you know, that's a whole just a step a step up. It's a it's a, a different kind of it, not a higher playing field, but a different playing field. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, and you'll find that when you have to bend sides and carve tops and backs and all that, it, it ends up taking a lot more time than it takes. Oh yeah, to make absolutely. Electric. Yeah. And I'm thinking about all the v- cool weird details that I can add that are going to take even more time. You know. Um, yeah, yeah, of gonna, course. But it's it's a frustrating thing when you know again having these, you know, having to refinish this base. That's like. It's already something that's been sitting here. I've got orders and a couple other spec builds that are going to take me the rest of this year to build. So the stuff I'm excited about, like when do I get to do that? Um, and that's that's something that I've been been frustrated with a little bit lately. Um, one of the ones come coming down down the line is is one I'm excited about a spec build that I get to do some fun stuff with. Um, I've got model. a couple of inlaid designs for customers coming up that. Um, that are pretty daunting, but uh, I think will will be cool. Um, and you know, it'll be the inevitable sitting there, banging my head against the table for weeks. If someone wants to order a guitar from you, what's the best way to go about that? Well, uh, books are closed currently, um, but uh, if you go to my website, there it should be. Let's see, I think I don't remember. Um, I can check real quick. There, uh, it's pretty easy to sign up for my mailing list, um, and that's going to be um, that's going to be where you find out more information. Um, or you know, follow me on Instagram; you'll you'll get it there. Um, at awesome. the bottom of the front page, there's a, a a blog post about custom orders being closed, and that'll take you to the mailing list site or con- the contact page. We'll, we'll do the same. Thank you so much for doing the podcast with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me.